We're going to open the book of Esther. If you want to go ahead and turn there, that's in the Old Testament. This is one of the two books of the uh, Bible that are named after women. Someone raise your hand. What's the other one? Yeah, you guys are awesome. The other one is Ruth. Now, Esther is also one of the two books of the Bible, the other one being Song of Solomon that doesn't specifically mention God by name. That's kind of interesting, right? But scholars say in this book, it's completely on purpose because we're invited to look for God in this story. His providence and his working are so obvious in this book. So although he's not named specifically, his hand is all throughout it. And we're going to learn through this two-week series that even when God is silent, he is still working. And God is always working behind the scenes. So Esther is this Jewish woman that's living in Persia after Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem and brought many of the Jews back to Babylon with him in 587 B.C. But then Babylon was overthrown by Persia in 539 B.C. Now, after uh, Babylon fell, many of the Jews moved back to Jerusalem, like Nehemiah and Ezra. But other Jewish people still lived throughout Persia. And that's where Esther is. She's living in the Persian royal city of Shushan. She was an orphan raised by her cousin Mordecai. Now, the ruler of Persia at this time was King Xerxes, and uh, scholars believe that this is the same King Xerxes that took over much of the known world. And he had a wife. uh, Her name was Queen Vashti, and she had given birth to a son uh, that would one day become King Artaxerxes, who would lead the empire after Xerxes. So this is a short history lesson of the background of the book of Esther. There are these people living in Persia that were taken as uh, exiles away from their country and living in this different culture. So Esther's living in a home, uh, being raised by her cousin Mordecai. And during this, King Xerxes has a party for 187 days. They're just living it up, right? And during this party, there's drunkenness and reveling, and the king ordered his queen to come And be brought to him so that all the men could look upon her beauty. And that's where we're going to pick up in verse 10 in chapter 1. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown in order to show the people and the princess her beauty, for she was lovely to look at. But Queen Vashti refused to come to the king's command delivered by the eunuchs. At this, the king became enraged, and his anger burned within him. The Bible doesn't specifically tell us here why Queen Vashti would not come uh, and obey the king's command. But many believe it was because the king wanted to maybe show off more than just her pretty face, if you know what I'm saying, right? He wanted to uh, have her take her clothes off, is what some believe. But either way, she refuses to come into the presence of the king, And that makes the king furious. You don't disobey the king. So the king banishes uh, Queen Vashti from his presence and perhaps divorces her as well. We're not sure. And in this day, to get to be in the king's presence was a difficult thing to do. And it was a great 
honor when accomplished. So here we see the king is in need and on the market for a new queen. So he calls all the most beautiful women in the kingdom to come be gathered together so he could choose his new queen. We see this in uh, Esther chapter 2 verse 8. So the king's order and his edict were proclaimed. And when many young women were gathered in Susa, the citadel, in custody of Haggai, it's most likely a eunuch that worked for the king, Esther was also taken into the king's palace and put in custody of Haggai, who had charge of the women. And the young women pleased him, and uh, young woman pleased him, Esther, and won his favor. And he quickly provided her with cosmetics and her portion of food and with seven chosen young women from the king's palace and advanced her and her young women to be the best in the harem. Esther had not made known her people or kindred, for Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. So this is an interesting thing, right? It's the setup of like a Disney movie, right? Where they, uh, she gets kidnapped and put in uh, the queen's, or excuse me, the king's, a group of beautiful women, and one of them is going to be chosen. And we don't know, though, whether uh, Esther volunteered to be part of this gathering or whether she was taken from her home. But who, the man that was in charge of this beauty contest laid eyes on Esther, and immediately he knew that she was the one, right? He's like, whoa, this is the girl. Wowza. He gave her a little bit of extra help. Makeup, better food, seven young maids to help her. We're going to see through this. This is no accident. This is all part of God's plan. Even when God is silent, he is still working. God can take our hard situations and use them to help people. See, these events are no accident. Ephesians 1.11 tells us that in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. The Bible tells us that God works all things according to the counsel of his will. And you'll, there's a word you'll often hear in these type of situations called providence. What providence means, it refers to the way that God weaves events together behind the scenes so that his sovereignty can be carried out while still allowing us to have a free will. It's miraculous, and it doesn't really make sense how God could do that. Now, we don't know what Esther thought about this whole process. I'm guessing that she was probably anxious and nervous and scared. This guy's last marriage didn't go so well, right? But who knows? She could have been maybe a little enamored. She probably you know, didn't have a lot of wealth before. And now she's being dressed in expensive clothes and being placed in the palace and treated like a princess. But this much is true. I'm sure she thought things were out of her control. So one by one, the contestants went before the king. And if the king were to call your name, it meant that he wanted to see you again. But if he didn't call your name, you were not allowed to go into his presence again. It was like The Bachelor, right? And being handed a rose or something, right? Y'all just let on that you watched The Bachelor. Jeez. Sinners. Well, <laughs> but when the, so the king 
you know, all these contestants are coming in from, and the king saw Esther's beauty and he stood up and went ahead and just skipped the whole process and put the royal crown right upon her head and made her queen right on the spot. For better or for worse, she had won. Here she comes, Miss Persia. The whole time Esther had kept a secret that she was a Jew. Cousin Mordecai had told her to keep this quiet. This secret could potentially have gotten her killed. Not long after this, Mordecai got a promotion. And all of a sudden, he's in charge of protecting the king's gate. And while serving there, he caught wind of an assassination plot by some of the king's closest servants. So cousin Mordecai told Esther of this plot, and Esther told the king. And the palace guard interrogated these men and found out the plot to be true, and they were hanged on the gallows. So Mordecai had saved the king's life. These Persians were ruthless people and innovators of many different ways to kill people, including impaling was one of the ways they liked to do it. Uh, scholars also believe that they may have even invented the cross. But Mordecai had saved the life of the king. So after all these things, okay, there's a counselor by the name of Haman that the king puts in charge. He comes on the scene. He's the descendant of the Canaanites, an ancient enemy of the Jews. And the king had made Haman ruler over all the servants, over all the princes of the kingdom. And the king commanded everyone to bow down and give reverence to this counselor, Haman. Because Mordecai would not bow down to this man and worship him. The other princes and the other servants were confused by the fact that Mordecai would not bow down. So they start to investigate why. And they find out that Esther and Mordecai are Jews. So Counselor Haman, he is furious, right? It was bad enough that someone wouldn't bow down to him and he is disrespected. But when he found out that it was a Jew that wouldn't bow down to him, it was even worse. He hated the Jews. So Haman set out to kill all the Jews, right? That's a huge overreaction, right? This one guy would bow down to me. We're going to wipe them all out. So Counselor Haman and his henchmen, they rolled a Purim, which was a dice. And they wanted the Purim to decide for them when was a good time to kill all the Jews. And the Purim told them that it was the best time was about 11 months away. And I've never committed genocide, but I'm sure this is the right way to do it, right? You always roll the dice to figure out when the perfect time to do it is. The Jewish people to this day celebrate the Feast of Esther, which they also call Purim, after that dice that decided their fate. So anyway, Haman put his plan into action. And he went to the king and said, King, there's a certain people in your kingdom that are planning to overthrow you. They don't keep your laws. They don't think you're a very good king. Obviously, these are lies. Haman hated the Jews, and he wanted to uh, see them killed. See, Haman never told the king that it was the Jewish people that he was talking about. He just said a certain people. And Counselor Haman said, these people are bad, and not only are they bad, they're rich. And if we kill them all, we can take all their money, and king, we can basically triple the amount of money that you make in your kingdom. Apparently, even in this foreign country, God had blessed his people. The Jews in Persia were wealthy. 
So the king was eager to stop any rebellion against him. And he signed it. He immediately signed this uh, law to kill all the Jews in a single day. The king had unknowingly just decided to kill his own queen, Esther. The Persian law stated that once a law was written, it could not be undone. So even if he figured out what he had done, he couldn't go back and change it. Things looked pretty hopeless. This was a tragedy in the making. But the king gave Haman all the men and resources that he needed to carry out this genocide. Verse 13 in chapter 3. Letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with instructions to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women and children, in one day, the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder all their goods. You skip to verse 15. It says, The couriers went out hurriedly by the order of the king, And the decree was issued in Susa, the citadel. And the king and Haman sat down to drink. But the city of Susa was thrown into confusion. Even people in this pagan country were confused and perplexed by what was going on. Why was this level of cruelty all about? All the women and children, old men and old women were all going to be slaughtered in one day. Chapter 4, verse 1, when Mordecai learned all that had been done. Mordecai, understandably, was overwhelmed and in grief, and he tore his clothes, and he put on sackcloth and ashes, and he went out into the midst of the city, and he cried out with a loud and a bitter cry. Imagine being in this position, right? I'm sure he was second-guessing his decision not to bow down to this counselor, Haman. He knew it was against his faith to bow down to a man as if he were a god, But maybe this once he wished he would have compromised. Look what had happened because I tried to do what was right. All these consequences are coming down on me. Verse 3 in chapter 4. And in every province, wherever the king commanded and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting. And many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's young women and her eunuch uh, came and told, that, uh, told her the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. See, this story started off as a beauty pageant, but things turned ugly really quick. This story is shaping up to be a mass murder, people being wiped out. But why didn't Mordecai just bow down and worship this Haman, right? What's the big deal? Why not just give in? Maybe even just this once. Why not just do what everybody else was doing? But Mordecai stood firm even when it was hard. And he wasn't just stubborn. He wasn't just opinionated. He did this because he believed that God uh, did not want him to bow down before another man and treat another man Uh, like a God. And he knew that was true from God's word. Things looked bad here, really bad. There didn't look like there was going to be any way to get out of this situation. But we're going to see that God had a plan all along. And even when it seems like God is silent, he is still working. 
We're going to find out what happens next with Cousin Mordecai and Counselor Haman and Queen Esther and King Xerxes next week. And I know we downloaded a big story all into just a few minutes. I challenge you to go and read the second chapter of Esther before next week. Two things I want to bring out of this first half of the story are, are this, though. First is, will you bow? Now, compromise of our preference and even our politics, those things can be good. This isn't about picking some random thing that you don't want to do and saying, I'm not going to bow down. But when things uh, get hard and times come where it's easy for us to compromise our faith and the things that are found in God's word, will I compromise those things? See, the Bible is non-negotiable. Everything else outside of this, if it's not in here, I'm going to hold it real loosely. Things people say, uh, things people tell me to do, all that's loose. But what's in here cannot be compromised. And when it's easier and more popular to do wrong, what will you do? What if you have to choose between your politics and your faith? What are you going to do then? Which one of those things is going to be the thing that you bow down to? How do you determine truth? How do you know what is true? Are you really pushing the things in your life through the filter of God's word when you decide the things that you cannot waver on? Are you taking those things to God in prayer? Or are you just checking the opinions of your friends and social media and what other people tell you to do? God's word is the non-negotiable thing. And we've got to lift that up over everything else. Always do what's right first and worry about the consequences later. See, Jesus is the better Mordecai. Jesus is the better Esther. And he showed us that in his life. He didn't bow down to the religious leaders when they tried to get him to stop helping people. He didn't bow down to the political pressure to silence him when he was trying to tell them about this kingdom that he was bringing and this gospel. He didn't bow down to the devil and Satan and temptation in the wilderness. He didn't bow. Jesus is the better Mordecai and Esther. And the second thing I want to bring out is this. I don't know what you're going through today. I have no idea what you're going through in your life. But God absolutely does. And even when God is silent, he is still working. And God can take whatever hard situation that you're in. And God can use this situation to help People. I'm going to see this next week. Esther's going to learn this in a big way. God might just be setting you up to do something you never could have done unless you went through some hard situation first. And even when things seem out of your control, if you're surrendered to him, you can have faith that even though they're out of your control, they are under God's control. Ephesians 1.11 told us, that God works all things according to the counsel of his will. And maybe right now in your life, where you're at, seems like halfway between uh, this book of Esther, right smack in the middle, where it looks like there's going to be a genocide, and you've got no hope, 
and things are going terrible. Maybe that's what your life looks like right now. It looks like no way that you could get out of it. Maybe you're stuck in the middle between tragedy and victory. And you don't know how you can get to the next place, to the place you feel like God is leading you. Maybe you don't understand why you're at this place right now. And things look bad, real bad. And you see no way out. Lisa Turker said this. Having faith doesn't mean having all the answers. It means trusting God, especially in the midst of uncertainty. Everything else may change around us, but God hasn't changed. The same God that was there for you yesterday is there for you today, and we will be there for you tomorrow. You are not alone this morning. And even when God is silent, He is still working. Have faith that God has a plan. And God can get you where he wants to take you from where you are right now. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. As the worship team comes. Maybe you're tempted this morning, over the last week or months, to compromise your faith, to compromise the things that you know this thing that we call the Word of God teaches us. Things like forgiveness, things like mercy, grace, things like the fact that we're all sinners and we're all in the same boat. And that we're only uh, people of hope because of Jesus. And we're tempted to compromise those things and buy into this age of outrage that we live in. And we're tempted to bow down to what everybody else is doing. The Bible doesn't call us to shout at the darkness. It calls us to be a light in the darkness. To be a place that points towards Jesus, not points towards our opinions and ourselves. We've got to decide what is king in our life and who is going to sit on the throne of our life. And when something has to bend or break, which thing am I going to bow to? God's word or my way? Or maybe this morning you feel stuck and you don't see a way out. Maybe it feels like you're smack dab in the middle of the story, the part of the story where the person's lost in the woods somewhere. And you see no way out. It's actually a good place to be because you finally got into the place where you realize that you can't do anything in your own strength and that you're not smart enough and you're not uh, you know, witty and capable enough to dig yourself out of the hole. But you desperately need Jesus today. That's an awesome place to be. 
Esther and Mordecai are in this place right now. And they realize that they have no hope. But they're going to see that even when God is silent, He is still working. The first step this morning is to make sure you're not working against Him. Don't kick against His leading. Don't plug your ears and say, I don't want to hear it. Don't distract yourself so much to drown out his voice. God wants to pull you out of wherever you are. Pull you through it. I'm not saying everything's magically going to be okay. I'm going to say he will walk through this with you. It might feel like the valley of the shadow of death this morning, but he says you can uh, fear no evil because he is with you. His rod and his staff will comfort you. But you take a minute right now. Just tell God and admit, God, I, I, I don't really have any hope right now except for the hope that I have in you. Father God, we love you. God, help us in our life today to decide Jesus over everything. We will bow to you and you alone. We thank you for the example in your life where you did not bow to anything but the will of your Father. God, help us to put Jesus over culture, Jesus over opinions, Jesus over politics, Jesus over everything. Help nothing to be louder in our lives than the gospel. God, help us to bow our knee to you and you alone. God, I pray for that one today that's in that middle of the story and they don't see any hope they don't see any way out. God, help them to remember that even when you're silent, you are still working. And help them to have faith that you are good and that you are in control. 